0: Welcome to Halfway There, everybody. This is Eric Nevins, and Halfway There is a show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I am so excited to bring you this episode. Today, our guest is Christian sex author and blogger, Jay Parker from Hot, Holy, and Humorous. Jay, welcome to Halfway There.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm super excited to uh, make your acquaintance and talk to you and hear a little bit about your story. We were just saying... This is a topic that doesn't get a lot of coverage, and it's important that we
1: do. I agree. Yeah, there are a lot of people who feel a little uncomfortable, you know, saying, for instance, the words Jesus and sex in the same (laughs) sentence, (laughs) or God and sex, even though it was all God's idea.
0: So. Oh, I love that. Okay. So I fully plan to be embarrassed at some point in the middle of this conversation, and we'll just keep going with it. It'll be fine.
1: All right. All right. I won't try to embarrass you. You're
0: used to it. That's great. (laughs) I don't
1: don't try to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, so I introduced you as you're the blogger at Hot, Holy and Humorous, which is a fantastic title. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing there and then we'll go back and go through your story and find out how God led you there.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting story.
0: I can't wait to hear Uh,
1: it. I write about What I say is I write about God's design for sex and marriage. So I'm primarily talking to married couples. I would say two-thirds to three-fourths of my audience is actually wives, but I definitely have a male readership. And I just really try to explain more to people about what God wants for their marriage in the marriage bed. And try to take a very biblical but also practical look at that. Like I'll provide actual tips for people so they're not hunting down stuff in Cosmo or, you know, some book with pictures that you shouldn't be looking at from the bookstore. But I also talk about, you know, the theology of sex and and those perspectives. So it kind of has a wide range of things that I cover, but it's all in the sexual intimacy category.
0: Yeah. and. I remember you said in the introduction of your book, Hot Holy and Humorous," that you really try to do the how because you found not too many people were doing that,
1: yeah, that's true. I think when the people who would discuss it would discuss it maybe in some clinical ways or very sort of high spiritual ways, and and there's definitely a role for that. But there are just a lot of people who have honest practical questions and they don't know where to go and they don't want to go to secular sources. And they need someone with, or they need not just someone, but they need resources generally yeah. that have this biblical foundation, but give them practical how-tos.
0: Right. Yeah. What I've kept thinking about it as I was reading your book is this is the integration of the human being, right? You're you're talking about the a physical thing, but it's important because we are human, because it's part of being human.
1: Absolutely. I, I think one of the things that's been sad is kind of in the... The historic church, we've had such this separation of body and spirit that we don't recognize that in God those things are married. And that He wants us to bring our body into, um, you know, into sync with our spirit to serve Him. It's not that we divorce ourselves from our body, but we bring that in just in the same way that if I'm called to reach out to the poor. I might use my hands and my body to literally deliver stuff to them. Yes. And likewise, I think we use our bodies in marriage to express even the love of Christ for our spouse.
0: Yes. My pastor was telling me about a book by Nancy Piercy, and I'll have to find the exact title. I'll throw it in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Uh, but one of the points that he told me she made is that the cross is a very physical act, right? That's, he, that's true. Jesus dies physically oh, wow, that kind of blew my mind a little bit because I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. gives dignity to all the other physical stuff that we do. So that's why I think that's relevant.
1: Well, and it was obviously important to, to God to send Christ in a physical embodiment just generally. Right. So there is a there is a purpose to being in bodily form.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and value to it. Okay, so you grew up as a preacher's daughter.
1: Yeah, I did yeah, so yeah, I started out. I was a preacher's daughter, and you know, in church three times a week from the time I was an infant, uh, you know, all the eyeballs of the church on you when you're a preacher's kid.
0: uh-huh did you was that difficult for you, or how did you handle that?
1: well, when you're when you're very young, you don't know anything different. And mm-hmm. so it's really not, I think until you're a teenager and you start recognizing that things are a little bit different for you than they are for your friends in the youth group. Sure. Um,
0: You you get a little more socially aware.
1: Yeah, I think there was more scrutiny. And there is this sense also that if you do anything really heinous, it it not only affects your family, it could affect your father's work, you know, his livelihood. And so I I would love to say that means that you, you know, therefore you behave really well. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not what happens oftentimes. There's a, you know, preacher's kids run the gamut. You have um, Alice Cooper and Katy Perry, who were preacher's kids. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have, I think it was, uh, it was a Glen Campbell and the Pointer sisters who uh-huh. were preacher's kids. So, you know, it kind of runs the gamut on what you do, but there are a fair number who probably did more of what I did, which was learn how to do some rebellion very secretly.
0: Oh, nice. Very good. Do you have any good stories you want to share with us or?
1: Oh, any good stories? The stuff I got away with and shouldn't have?
0: Maybe not. I mean, maybe if it's too soon to reveal those things, that's okay. I'll let you off the hook. My mother's
1: still alive. It's kind of funny, though, because I've actually talked to her since. And there are some things I probably thought I got away with that she was like, no, I I knew what was going on. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: (laughs) I told my mom one time we used to jump off the trampoline or off the roof of our garage onto a trampoline, which was on Uh concrete. Like now I just look at it and think I was, that was dumb, but I was, you know, middle schooler. And when I told her she made this big scene in this uh, restaurant, she was what, you know, it was, yeah, she's, she's right. It was dumb.
1: Probably the stupidest thing I did is my parents were actually out of town once and I got stopped by a cop for drag racing my... (laughs) (laughs) My Honda Civic against my friend's Toyota Tercel. Nice. As if these were drag racers. <laughs> nice. And the cop stopped and said, and I had a, a bag in the back. Um, I bought it. It was around Easter time. i bought a chocolate Easter bunny. And he was like, what's in the bag? As if I was going to have drugs <laughs> or alcohol in there. I was like, it's a chocolate bunny. Oh, nice. And please don't tell my parents he's a preacher and <laughs> I could get in huge trouble.
0: <laughs> nice. Okay, well, that gives us a little flavor for your your wild side. <laughs> but How did faith become personal for you? When did that start to happen?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think there were moments, but I got it. in all honesty, I really, the things that I'm not, I'm not telling are the dark side parts really of, of a high school and college when I got into some premarital promiscuity and it was not a good time for me at all in that. So I was really pushing away from God at that point and kind of really only got called back around and wanted to have honest conversations with God about who I was and where he wanted me to be. Probably. It after I graduated from college. So I would say maybe 22, 23.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's when I think what happened to me is probably what happens to some people is that you look at your life and you realize it's not going in a good direction. And if you keep up what you're doing, you realize five to 10 years, you're going to be in a really bad yeah. place. And so the decisions I was making, I was like, this is not going to work out. And I had resisted that road I knew I should be on for a long time. And I had to kind of return to that and say, all right, do I really believe in God? What do I believe in God? And what does that mean? What does that look like? And so I actually studied some other religions at that time. Um, I didn't think that they had good answers, though. And so then when I returned, I read through what happened for me as I read through the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. And I just found myself captivated by the real Jesus, who was not, you know, not exactly the guy that I'd grown up with on the flannel board in Sunday school class. Yeah. Um, so that was, I think, where I kind of came back around.
0: Yeah, I love that. I found myself captivated by the real Jesus. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just, I remember reading it with fresh eyes and thinking, I'm just going to let him be whoever he comes across to be here. And I'm, I'm going to try very hard not to bring any preconceived notions. And I just, I was really surprised by his strength and his passion for righteousness, as well as his tenderness for people.
0: Mm. Was there a specific passage or story that, that grabbed you?
1: I will say John six sixty eight, I think it is, and I am really terrible about verbatim and and all that, so I'm going to botch this probably a little bit. No judgment here. But it's essentially where um, Jesus says has said um, Jesus has had a sermon, and it's an unpopular one, and so a lot of disciples leave, and then Jesus turns to his apostles and he says, "Are you?" going to leave too. And Peter says, to whom else should we go? You have the words of life. I know and believe that you are the son of God. And I think that was where I kind of, even though it was there, I think I kept returning back to it, this idea that, you know what, this really is the only place to go. I mm-hmm. don't have every single answer that I would like to have, but wanting all of those answers is me kind of wanting to be God. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I kind of returned to this as like, you know what, this is, I do believe this. I believe this is the son of God. And I believe this is really the only good place to go. The only true place to go.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Given that it sounds like you sort of walked away from the faith that you'd grown up with to some extent anyway, looked Mm -hmm. looked at other religions and then found, oh no, Jesus really is is the way he is the one. Well,
1: yeah, I was, I was kind of like the bad, or not. it's not a bad country song, but the country song, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. I kept looking for other things to fill stuff. And then when I came back around, I was like, you know what? Where else should I go back to that stuff? I'm not going back to that stuff. There's no other place to go, but Jesus, this Mm -hmm. is the place. And it took a while longer before I was living into what that looked like.
0: Sure which is normal. Takes a little bit sometimes.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, God's still working on me. <laughs>
0: yeah, which is the whole point. That's why the show is called Halfway There.
1: Yes. Yes, <laughs> we're I like that. Only, I love that title.
0: Yeah, we're only halfway and it's a, it's partly it's a wink to Bon Jovi, but also it's uh it's saying, "Hey, we're never going to stop growing no matter even in eternity, I think we're always going to be learning something about our infinite God." Yeah. 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 So, Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Normally, I like to ask about some of your learning experiences, um, but you probably had a lot of a background being a preacher's kid. You knew the Bible, I'm guessing. Was there was there a way that you grew after you kind of had come back to faith?
1: I think that I started kind of. That was a, a corner turn that I took, but I think that there was still a lot of selfishness in me, and this is what happened. Kind of, I when I turned that corner. God surprised me with my husband um, not very long after that. I was not looking for men. In fact, I had sworn that off because I was like, well, I can't be trusted. I'm terrible at this. Um, I'm done. I'm not looking for that at all. And then I met my husband. Yeah. <laughs> and it was very much, in my opinion, a God thing. I can tell that story. It's actually a really fun story. What's yeah. us hear um, And that one is that I – I had decided I was going to go to graduate school and then change my mind on what I was going to do. So I just decided it was me. The only person I had to take care of was me. So I would pack everything I owned into my car, which was now a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> and then I would move to a city I'd never been to before and I had no job no apartment. I had a hotel reservation. I'd never been there before. I t- chose the place on job market, cost of living. And I wanted to kind of live near mountains because I grew up in Texas and there aren't a lot of mountains here. <laughs> sure. Um, and I thought I wanted to experience it. So I drove 15 hours to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And um, three days later, I had an apartment. Three weeks later, I had a job and I went to a singles devotional, at church there. And I ran into this guy who looked familiar, and I looked familiar to him. And I'm thinking, I don't know anybody. <laughs> and he's like, you look so familiar. So we start having this conversation. We're trying to figure out how we know one another. We cannot figure this out. Finally, he says, where do you live? And I say, "Canoan Village Apartments. And now when I think about this, I think, why did I tell a strange man where <laughs> I lived? But I did. Right. Um, and then <laughs> he said, What building are you in? I told him which building. He said that's my building. What apartment are you in? And we realized we were next door neighbors. Oh wow! So I literally married the boy next door. (laughs) Um, So within the year, within a year, we had gotten married. It just was fast and yeah, made sense. And uh, but I, I still carried some of my baggage into that. Sure. So I think I kind of had another story when I still hadn't made all those changes I needed to make and my marriage started to go very bad.
0: Right. Okay. So let's hear about that. Um, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yes. So that one is, uh, you know, a few years in, we started having some conflicts and some struggles and I think it partly happened when we had kids. And I hate to say that to people because I don't want to discourage them from having children. They're absolutely a blessing. However, a lot of research does show that marital satisfaction takes a dip when you have kids. It's just physically, emotionally exhausting. Um, you don't have as much time for each other. It's you, you have stressors that come out. You're trying to juggle the kids and the work and your relationship. There's just a lot going on in that season. And some people navigate that well. Some people just have a little bumpy time and they come back up that experience just brought out all of the mess that we had not dealt with. Mm. So we ended up having, you know, it got to the point where a lot of our conversations were arguments and, uh, just things were going terribly. And I think that I was returning a lot to wanting him to fill the spaces for me, wanting him to to, to be, you know, my hero, because things were hard on me. And there was also some stories. I had some postpartum depression that was undiagnosed and treated. Meanwhile, my husband is like, what happened to my wife? She's falling apart. you yeah. know. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't realize it was happening. And I was just angry and resentful all the time. And the funny thing, though, is I prayed mm. a lot during that time. And I would go to Bible studies and stuff, but a lot of it I was doing to kind of figure out what my husband was doing wrong. (laughs) um, I I think probably some spouses out there know what I'm talking about. When you sit in church and and the preacher's preaching and you're thinking, amen, preach it, (laughs) preach it to the guy sitting next to me. He needs to hear it.
0: Right. And you're looking at him going, are you listening? Do you hear this? I've been there.
1: So I just wasn't, I, I needed, again, it kind of had to get to where I looked at this and was like, this is, you know, any minute now this marriage could fall apart.
0: What I'm wondering about is you were still praying. You, you, so you sound like you still had this relationship with God, but you were, you're were sort of having this rocky questioning experience. Why did you still pray?
1: I think it goes back to the verse I said, to Elma, else shall I go? I just, I kind of didn't know what else to do to an extent. Um, And I was still, you know, we attended church together. He's a believer. I'm a believer. We just, he was trying to seek answers. I was trying to seek answers, but we just weren't on the same page at all. Yeah. Um, I thought also that God and I see this a lot with what I do with people who write me who are going through struggles, is a lot of times that we will pray and we basically pray like, okay, God, here's my big mess. Now I'm going to sit back and you tell me when you've worked that out and put it back into my life with all your blessings. Right. And that's really not exactly how it works.
0: No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And you, you kind of have to go through the experience in order to gain anything from it.
1: Yeah, and and I think I look back and I think that God was kind of shaking me for months and years, saying, "Okay, not him." I and that's not to say that he didn't mm. have things he needed to work on. Um, there, there were some issues, and I I stand by some of my criticisms. <laughs> <laughs> sure,
0: but, we all have things we we can improve.
1: But that, but even if your spouse is is having issues, you still have to deal with your own stuff. That doesn't absolve you from dealing from your own stuff. And I had a lot going on, and I feel like God was sort of shaking me trying to say, okay, stop praying to me to change him. I am trying to get you to pay attention so I can change you.
0: Wow. Okay, so how did he change you? How would that resolve?
1: Well, um, I think what really happened for me is that I would have said at the time that I was trusting God, but like I told you how I was trusting God and I would have said, Oh, I love God and this and that. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I think that's a really hard thing for us as Christians, yeah, because we, we kind of like the Jesus that's our friend, the Jesus that's our brother, the Jesus that, you know, feeds us, that, um, walks on the sea. That takes care of stuff. You know, we even like the the Jesus that goes and turns over those people's tables. <laughs> right. um, but we we don't really like you know living in the command stuff. You know, where it's um, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out.
2: Right. Which
1: I'm not suggesting anyone go pluck their eye out. But but that's a symbolic command from from Jesus. And what I kind of discovered is after a while, I realized, well, for one thing, I wouldn't have wanted to be married to me at the time. And I started, as I looked more and more into scripture, I realized that I just wasn't living out the commands. That I was sort of trusting God in one way, but I wasn't trusting mm-hmm. his plan. I wasn't trusting that if I obeyed what it meant to be christ-like to my spouse that things would get better yeah and so one of the things i did is i actually looked at uh first corinthians 13 4 through 6 with the love chapter and um oh, how does that how does it start love is uh mm,
0: i'm not much better it's not
1: proud at- <laughs> love is not <laughs> yeah. envy it does not I know I'm going to mess it up. And then the, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5:23, I believe. Yeah. And those kind of had easy sort of lists that I could double-check myself. Um, am I being kind, patient, gentle? Am I, you know being selfish, like I'm not supposed to be with love? Am I you know self-seeking? am I and the big one for me was "Love keeps no record of wrongs, and I had absolutely yeah. kept a record of wrongs. And so I started rehearsing these things in my head and deciding to trust not just God, the person, which, but who he wanted me to be.
0: Yeah, so fascinating. So you made a spiritual discipline out of love is patient, love is kind, et cetera, <laughs> right? to, to was it? To make it, to, make it uh, to make it into something real in your life.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's gonna come across with my gentle voice now. Yeah, that's how I did it. I I want to be realistic with you and yeah. say that in the moment when you're very and when you're at that point where your marriage is rocky and bad, and there are days where you would love to walk out the door. There are days where you, I was walking around like, love is patient, love is kind. Okay, I'm gonna be patient and kind. You know, I mean, it was not like. Originally, necessarily, from this point of oh, I just love my husband and I love Christ and I want to yeah. do it. it was pushing myself to to do that for a while,
0: yeah, wow, I appreciate you sharing that because I think marriage is hard, loving another person is hard um and certainly that's been that's been our experience um but i love I love that you turn that into a spiritual discipline. I've never heard anybody do that, although it makes perfect sense when. When you think of it that way,
1: Yeah, I'm a big believer in you know finding verses that speak to you in your particular situation and making those a part of your self-talk.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that. That is great. Okay, so you start trying to obey how so yes. th- tell us so did things just incrementally get bigger, get better? or how would you?
1: Yes, and I think the other thing that we sometimes get wrong is we want to do that for a short period of time, mm. and then we're like, "Well, it doesn't seem like anything's changing. I'm done. I tried." Right. <laughs> um, and usually, though, you you have to live into something for a while to see the real results. I mean, you just think about it. If you take an, if you start an exercise program and you say. Okay, I'm going to go to the gym and you go for a week and you go, I oh, can't believe I haven't lost 10 pounds.
2: <laughs> well, right. Of
1: course you haven't lost 10 pounds. You went for a week. <laughs> right. Um, but I think sometimes we do the same thing with uh, both our marriages and our lives. We may be say, okay, I'm going to do this different. Um, whether it's I'm going to really start to romance my wife or it's, you know, I'm going to say positive things to my spouse or whatever it is. We don't stick with it long enough or we also give up when we fail or it becomes hard. And you know what? If you mess up, just get back on. That's yeah. That's Peter, the apostle Peter. I love him because he just, he messes up and he comes back and he messes up and he comes back. Right. He's my inspiration.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think God gave us Peter as a gift.
1: <laughs> yeah and, th- and there's another verse I love that talks about how um, if we do not give up we will reap a harvest um, mm. so and that's the that's the struggle is to not give up and so I think what happened is things started incrementally getting better but they kind of got better and better and better and then it was more of those things that you wake up one day and you realize okay I, I think I'm pretty happily married. Like not everything's perfect, but this is actually, I think we're kind of out of the woods. Um, and then, you know, it just continues to progress and you start, had more energy to nurture things that needed to be nurtured. And to, to pour more into the relationship when I was not worrying that it was just going to disintegrate.
0: Right. Okay. So how does that, like, I I don't know the timeline here, but so how does, how do you get from there to writing a Christian sex blog?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. So I, I told you about my, um, premarital promiscuity issues. And so I kind of had that background and all the things that I, I mean, I grew up in the preacher's family and the church where the biggest message I got about sex was don't. Yeah, (laughs) It just kind of stopped there. There was um, some other stuff, but it was a lot of don't. And there weren't a lot of good reasons given to me. I didn't really buy into the the few things that they had given me. And so I kind of went out and experimented on my own and made different choices. But then when I talked to you earlier about having that conviction of kind of having that turning point after college – I knew I'd wanted to be in a different place with my sexuality. And so I started moving more into that. And then when I got married, of course, now I'm in the confines of where God intends for sex to be. I still had some baggage that I had to deal with. Um, some self-talk that I had gotten through the years about myself, still seeing myself as kind of cheap or wrong. For this act, in some ways, just some shame, and I really had to deal with that. And again, that was one of those where there was a verse that spoke to me, and I rehearsed that. Um, it was a little longer verse, so I didn't memorize it all, I had to go read it, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I do know that one was uh, first Corinthians 6 9 through 11, I believe, and so it talked about how that this is what people had been. Um, The people had previously been these sinners, but now Mm -hmm. Jesus had washed and sanctified and justified you. And the past tense there was, that was what, what you were. And I had to keep reminding myself, okay, that's what I was, but that's not who I am. And I began to embrace a more holy version of sexual intimacy in my marriage. And then the weird thing is, when I was going through all this bad marital stuff with my husband, sex was one of the things that actually kept us going. Because periodically we would have these connection moments. Um, We might go on a good date or this or that, but also we would make love. and. You know, God created us to have this firing of a bonding chemical and and this, you know, the intimacy of touching and all those things. And it would remind me, this man really loves me and treasures me. And there's still something here. And so I think it kind of kept us hanging on until we could work out the other issues. So that's kind of all my personal story. And then what happens is I keep feeling like God Once all this kind of is working out and my marriage is in a better place, I feel like God is tapping me on my shoulder and telling me I need to do something with my story, that I need to tell my story to other people and help them, especially because I had this uncanny ability to get into conversations about sex with other wives and give them advice. (laughs) Uh. But I didn't know what that looked like. And I honestly was a bit Moses-like about it. I didn't really want to do it. Okay. Okay. And so I finally was like, well, I really like to write. And there's this thing called blogging. So I'll just start a blog and I'll put up a post once a week. Maybe some people will wander by and then I'll get to check the box with God that I did something and he'll
0: move on. (laughs) So you're like, this is limited obedience. It's like, I'll do what you said. Maybe nobody (laughs) will see it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I I always would want to tell the story of, and then I powerfully came before God and said, <laughs> "Give me the mission." But that's not literally how it happened. Almost so landmark. I. But the good news is, if you step out even reluctantly, but in obedience, God yeah. God can still work with that. Absolutely. Um. So kind of six months in, I had a people start sharing my posts, and the thing kind of just exploded on me. And I started having a lot of people visiting my site, and I began feeling overwhelmed that there really were, like I thought, many people who had questions about sex and didn't feel like they had a biblical place to go. And that there were a few voices out there. I did connect with other people who were doing things like this, but there still were not that many voices. Right. And I could definitely add my own to it. And so I expanded the number of times I blogged, and it's it's become a whole ministry. And I'm I've been blessed many times over, and I can't believe what God has done with this.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I think it's so important. Uh you've actually written three books.
1: I
2: have. Is that right? Yes. So
0: we, we mentioned hot, holy, and humorous sex and marriage by God's design earlier. Uh-huh. And uh that's that's definitely Fantastic. I've been reading it. You were nice enough to send me a copy. It's very, very how-to-y. It's very good. Yes. Yes. Um, So people can pick that up. Um, You wrote a book of devotions for sex and marriage. That's interesting. Who who does that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did it. Uh, Yeah, it's called Intimacy Revealed, 52 Devotions to Enhance Sex in Marriage. And so each one has a, a scripture that is either, it might be about sex, it might be about marriage, or it might be about something else. But one of my premises is that the, the gospel, God's word, does not end at the bedroom door. Mm-hmm. So if something is true about how God wants us to be and how he wants us to treat others, then all those things are true in the marriage bed as well. So you could take the fruit of the Spirit and apply that to your sexual intimacy in your marriage. What does it look like to have kindness, gentleness, self-control? You know, all those kinds of things. What's the is is perseverance one of them? Yeah, I
0: believe so. It's another list if it's not that. I think
1: so. (laughs) There's a challenge, Um, but. All those things apply, and so I take those scriptures, and we kind of look at how those apply. I have some thoughts, and then there's a prayer, and there's some questions to ask yourself so you can start putting those things into practice. And it gets you thinking about messages that we may not realize we've absorbed about sexual intimacy that are not in line with God's Word, and what does God's Word really say about it?
0: Yeah. What are some messages that you find people have in their minds about sex that— that you kind of addressed in there?
1: Um, Sex is purely physical is one of them. I guess we talked about that Mm -hmm. and it's not. It um, It is something that connects us emotionally and even spiritually at times. It definitely is a physical act, but it's not just that. And God designed it to be more connecting. And that's why it really is an important thing between a husband and wife. Uh, One of the others I think that you hear a lot is, and this was written primarily to wives, but sex is for him. Yeah. And we kind of have that idea, but everything in the Bible really talks about sexual intimacy being a mutual act between husband and wife. And so God desires just to have mutual interest and satisfaction in the marriage bed.
0: Yeah, I love that. So I have two degrees in the Bible, and uh, I've literally never thought about literally uh, applying those passages to sex. That's awesome. Oh,
1: really? <laughs> I I think one of my favorite chapters in the Hot holy, and Humorous book is I have one on the the gospel in the bedroom and how the gospel yeah. applies to the marriage bed. And I was surprised what came from that chapter because it was challenged to write something, something about how the gospel applies to your ministry. And I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And then when I started looking at it, I was like, this applies so much. And so it was really, it was a beautiful thing to see how God has woven everything together so, so beautifully if we'll just embrace his yeah. design.
0: Yeah, which is awesome. Okay what do you what do you say because we, we talk about couples we talk about marriage people but also the church needs to speak about sexuality to people who are not uh mm-hmm. in marriage what do you have to say to people who are not yet married
1: well one of the things that i would say cuz cuz i think what we have to work with a lot of times is both poor Theology on this topic, but also all the secular messages. So there's two sources from which we get a bad perspective of mm. sex as God designed it. So we kind of it's it's sad, but we kind of have to fight both of those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, one of them, I think that one of the most common secular ones is the idea that marriage is where sex goes to die.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that every sitcom I, that you watch will tell you that.
1: Yes. Yes. And you you would absolutely think that singles are having all the fun and then when you get married, like you're, it's going to be a chore or you're going to be frustrated. It's never going to be happening, this and that. And But the research really doesn't show that. It shows that uh, married couples are having a lot more sex <laughs> than singles, not to mention that when they do, they report much higher levels of satisfaction. Mm. Because it's someone that they love and that they've invested in. And so I would want to, to first tell singles, look, don't sweat that you're missing out on something by following God's design. You're not. Yeah. You're not missing out. It's okay to wait. It's going to be fine. <laughs> um, and, and sex is beautiful, and I understand why you're eager. But I, I would trade, well, nearly anything to just wipe my history clean. And for my husband to be the only one I'd ever been with. Yeah. Um, I have no shame about that, but I have regret. And I am entirely forgiven, but those experiences can cause it to be harder for you to, to get everything how it should be in your marriage. And you want to start yourself out with, you set yourself up for success as much as possible. So just be be prepared to wait. And if you've already messed up, it's just, again, like Peter, you can get back on track. You know, you're not, it's not you lost your virginity and then it's just done. Like, well, I lost it. I guess it's done. It doesn't work like that. Um, God is not so worried about your virginity. He's worried about your purity and unfortunately, a lot of times the purity culture has tried to grab that word, but yeah. he's, he's more about your holiness. And that means that you, holiness is, is uh, different when you're single than when you're married. So following God's will sexually in those different seasons is different. Right. So I think there's that. And then I would also just tell singles to, um, to kind of prepare themselves in in knowing what that looks like. I think the more that you become like Christ and try to apply God's word to all these areas of your life, the easier it's going to be to then have that happen when you enter marriage.
0: Is there anything else that is really that you're really passionate about in this topic like a another angle of it? that you just want to make sure we cover?
1: I think for a lot of people, they feel like maybe they're not enough for their mm. spouse or they're not enough for themselves. And so they worry about, and, and these things affect so many things in the marriage bed, but either... They feel like they ha- don't have a high enough libido, and their spouse is very di- disappointed, or something's wrong with them, or they worry about their body image because they don't look like the sex scene they saw in the movie. Which I try to remind people all the time: okay, that is scripted, choreographed, lighted, makeup artists, physical trainers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's not even. It's not real. Yeah. None of it's real.
0: You know what's funny is we don't we, – we like see a car chase and an explosion, and we know that's not real. And then we take we take our sexuality from a love scene.
1: Oh, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it like that, but that's very true. Yeah. We seem to think that that is how it works. And then we worry, well, you know, there's something wrong with me because we didn't have a spontaneous orgasm. And or we just worry that we don't know what to do and we – you know, what if we ask, or maybe what if we ask for something in the bed and, and our spouse doesn't want to do it. And we just have all these fears and concerns, I think, that surround this act. And yet, when God created the first husband and wife, they were naked and unashamed together. Um, And I think that that's really kind of, What God wants that connection to be for us in that moment is being able to let go and just experience this pleasurable, intimate act that is even sometimes life-giving. That's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I don't know if I have anything else to add to that. I (laughs) I, I love that you add humorous to it. It's hot, holy, and humorous. Yeah. (laughs) Because it, it is funny sometimes.
1: It is. I, I mean, I've talked about this several times about what's – we need to just own up that sex can be funny. I mean, you get into certain positions you would never get into otherwise. Things happen that, you know, I've talked to people who've fallen off the bed, broken the bed. <laughs> um, talk to somebody who's accidentally started a fire by the T-shirt getting tossed on a lamp oh, in the middle of something. Literally. literally mean. Just, you know, we have these stories where you stub your toe or whatever, and and um, and we can just get we can take it so seriously. This is the other thing: is sometimes when we talk about sex at this very clinical or spiritual level, level, we make it so serious. And I I don't think it's just like that. And even if you read Song of Songs from the Bible, that couple, this husband and wife, they have a very playful attitude toward their intimacy at times. Yeah. And it's a very, you know, you can just, as I read, it's like I can just picture them smiling and laughing with one another. Yeah. And that's part of the experience too. And that's a good thing.
0: Absolutely. And it's always a great reminder to read scripture with a different voice. So I think where it's easy to read, (laughs) to read a voice of condemnation or you should. And if you read it with a, tenderness and a and the kind of um humorous maybe a wink. If you read it with a wink, it's different, <laughs> right? It's different. Yeah. 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 Oh, awesome. All right. Uh I want to mention too, you guys have a a podcast, maybe you mentioned this earlier, Sex Chat for Christian Wives, so people can go find that. And uh I did listen to a few of those. There were some that I was like, this is not for me and I have to <laughs> I have to not yeah. listen to that one. But there some of the some of the guy stuff you had you had quite um some responses from men that I thought was fantastic and totally um, spoke spoke to me so there's things there for everybody even though it says your primary audience there is Christian wives
1: yeah that's true we we have talked very uh, specifically to women we're very open we try to treat this like we're at a we call it our virtual kitchen table sure. and we're just kind of sitting around and we're hoping also to sort of model how wives can have these communities themselves and find other people that they can get support from and talk to these things about with other Christian wives. And so if you listen we uh, you know you don't none of us feels like you you can people can peer into our bedroom and know what's happening. But we do talk very openly and honestly in the way we would with girlfriends. And so sometimes that can be uncomfortable for a man and we're not intending it to be. We're just trying to speak to the wives and give them a place to go to hear that.
0: Yeah, which I think there's a that's a great way to share, um, things with people. It certainly works within your, uh, MO. And, um, I think, you know, some of the ones that I listened to that even weren't, uh, directly related with, with men, I thought were so helpful for me to get an idea of this is how my wife is thinking. And it, and it did kind of change my, my perspective, which I thought was great.
1: There's an episode that I've actually heard called, uh, I believe we called it women's sexual response. And we try to explain to women what that kind of looks like. And I understand that it's been helpful for some husbands to listen to that too. Yeah. So that husbands know that men and women's sexual responses are different. And so you don't have an expectation that your wife is going to react the same way you do because God made you differently.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay. I know that we're, we're almost done, but I have to ask you one more question. Yes. Uh, because you just said the word expectation. And that, in my experience, has been one of the most difficult things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how do we handle expectation when it comes to sex in marriage?
1: Yeah, that's, I think the biggest thing that we probably can do is to check in more with our spouse and to believe what they say. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I think a lot of times we see things the way we think that if I were to behave like that, then it would mean X. So for instance, if you have a one of the spouse's lower drive. And by the way, it's not always the woman. That's one of our poor assumptions is that the men are always higher drive. And really in about maybe 15 to 30% of marriages, the wife has a higher libido than her husband. But maybe the, the higher drive spouse thinks, well, if I wasn't interested, like this person doesn't seem to be interested, that would mean... That I didn't, you know, I didn't love them or didn't want to be with them. And that's, but that's not what it means for them. It means that physiologically, they're just not experiencing the same things you're experiencing. And so when you start having communication and you, you talk about what your expectations are and where you're coming from, and you're willing to ask questions and really listen, what does this mean to you? What is this like for you? What would you like to do? where would you like our sexual intimacy to be? I think you start kind of getting rid of some of the erroneous expectations and dealing with the person right in front of you.
0: Yeah. So like all things communicate and listen and actually hear what the other person said.
1: Yeah. And and a lot of times those conversations don't need to be happening in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier sometimes to have those conversations outside of that. Um but the other thing is that we can also do that in the bedroom. You know, we can kind of, we can express if there are some, there could be some good expectations too, and we can kind of suggest things in the moment and see how it flies. And, um, or you know, I mean, sometimes in the moment you don't really form words well, so you can, <laughs>
0: sure.
1: you can move your spouse's hand. You can do things like that. The kind of um help us kind of figure out what this should look like for the two of us apart from you know whatever baggage or perspectives we might have had coming in what will this look like for the two of us
2: yeah
0: i love that jay thank you so much for sharing some of your story here and uh for the work that you're doing i like we said started with i guess I think there's such a market for it. You've obviously found it. And it's so important for us as believers to think about the whole person. Uh, and that includes our bodies and that includes sex. So I thank you for doing the work you're doing.
1: Great. Thanks so much for having me on. This was delightful. Yeah, you bet.